Well, all right, take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to take a look at the subject that we just sang about. And we're going to look at the abundant grace that God has for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read one verse and get right into the message this morning. So let's all stand together, if you would. If your neighbor does not have a Bible this morning, I'll allow them to look on with you as we read verse 15. And let's do this. Let's read verse 15 out loud together and in unison. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. Let's read together. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your strength. We need your help every single day. And I'm thankful for the fact that the grace that you have available for us is abundant. It uh, never runs out. The, uh, the pot never runs dry. There's always plenty of grace for time of need. We thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to meet together this morning. And we pray, Father, that our hearts would be in such a condition that we would be warm to the things that are spoken of in your word. We pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. We didn't come to church this morning just because it's Sunday. We didn't come to church this morning just because it's the thing to do. It's not just a religious exercise. We came to church this morning because we wanted to hear from you. And Lord, uh, we pray that as your book is spoken, that you would speak to our hearts personally and that the Spirit of God would do a work this morning, work in hearts. And uh, Father, as you speak to us this morning, may our hearts desire and may our prayer be that we'll respond to you, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In verse 15, it says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. The Bible says that God's grace is abundant grace. The greatest need that a person has before they trust Jesus Christ as Savior is to get a hold of the grace of God in their lives. Uh, the greatest thing for a person once they have trusted Christ as their Savior is to, to get a hold of the grace of God in their lives and to, and to have that abundant grace. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In order for a person to, to, to know for sure that their sins are forgiven, and by the way, that's one of the greatest needs we have, is not only have the grace of God, but to know and have that assurance that our sins are forgiven before Him and that we have a home in heaven waiting for us. I, I've talked to a lot of people over the years and, and asked them, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that, if you die, do you, that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? And I, I, have had, I have had many people over the years say, yes, I know that for sure. Some of them have known for sure for the right reasons. Others have given that assurance for the wrong reason. And if, the wrong, if the reason is wrong, if it has anything to do with them, if it has anything to do with human effort, it's, it's not the salvation of God. Salvation of God comes 
through the grace of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, is strictly by His grace. And then once a person trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, they know for sure that, that they're a sinner, they're on their way to hell, and that the only way they can go to heaven is by, by throwing themselves at the mercy of God and, and trust Jesus Christ and Him alone as their Savior. The moment, the moment a person does that, that they, they, uh, the Bible says that they become saved and they uh, now have eternal life, they now have forgiveness of sins. But once a person is saved, the greatest need we have after salvation is, is also grace. And grace is just simply the, the strength and the power to be able to live the Christian life. Uh, you know, we, if, I, if I were to ask, if I were just to maybe put, a, put out a, a, a pieces of paper and say, write down on, on a piece of paper, what is your greatest need right now? We'd probably get all kinds of, of answers. Uh, it might be finances, it might be counsel, it might be uh, help in a particular project, it might be mending of relationships, who knows what it might be. But can I tell you this, that all those things pale in comparison to the one great need that all of us have, regardless of where we are with God this morning. The, gr the greatest need that we have is the need for grace. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to, and we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture this morning, First Corinthians chapter 15. Let's back up a little bit. You're in 2 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15. Look down at verse 10. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He's probably, without a doubt, I think without dispute, one of uh, the greatest Christians that ever lived. And yet look what he said about himself. He said in verse 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored, labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Uh, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He says, it's, it, it's nothing about me, and it's everything about his grace. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians 12. Down in verse 9, Paul is, is asking God to remove a difficulty, a problem in his life. He called it a thorn in the flesh. And he asked God three times, and after the third time, God's, God gave this as an answer. Uh, verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So grace is strength. Before you get saved, it's the strength that you don't have in yourself to get forgiveness of sins. It's the strength that you don't have in yourself to, to know for sure that your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven. It's the strength that you don't have in yourself to be saved. And, and God has that, that grace, that strength to forgive you all your sins and to give you eternal life. Once you are saved, it's strength to live day by day by day in the Christian life. And he said, my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. You're in 2 Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
Now, though the word grace isn't used there, that is what the grace of God is. It's God working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's the, it's the desire and the strength and the power to be able to accomplish God's will. You don't have it in yourselves. None of us do. But God has that grace and God has that strength and God has that power for us. Uh, let me tell you what grace is not. And, and sometimes people, people, when they define grace, define it very, very improperly. Grace is not long-suffering or overlooking of sin. It's, it's, it, God doesn't overlook sin. God, by His grace, forgives sin and, and gives us eternal life when we trust Him as Savior. It's not... I, I read this in a... If I, if I said the name of the author, most of you would know who that author is. Uh, claims to be, uh, claims to be a, a preacher of the gospel. And, and uh, basically, he said the, the definition, one of the definitions of grace is flexibility or bending the rules. No, that's not the definition of grace at all. Grace is the strength and the power and the desire that God gives that we don't have in and of ourselves in, in order to, to live for Him. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. In other words, everyone's had an opportunity to get a hold of that grace. And God doesn't overlook anyone. And in verse 12, he says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. What teaches us those things? Grace does. Grace is not the freedom to reject God's moral laws, but it's the desire and the power that God gives to us to, 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 to keep those things. Uh, God, you know, one, of the, one of the definitions I've heard of grace over the years is, is that grace is God's unmerited favor at, at salvation. We don't do a thing to, to merit the forgiveness of our sins. I got saved when I was 17 years old. I had to realize first that I was a sinner and that because of my sin, I deserve to die and go to hell for all eternity. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Uh, it's not only a physical death. We're going to all physically die someday because of sin. But it's also a spiritual death. And the Bible makes it very, very clear that every person that was ever born outside of Jesus Christ himself, uh, who's gotten the flesh, uh, every, every other person that has been born on this earth deserves to die and go to hell for all eternity. You say, well, that's rather harsh. No, it's not harsh at all. All sin is, is against a holy God. All sin is against an eternal God. And he has, he has laid down the, the laws for life, so to speak, uh, and uh, we have all violated those laws. Every one of us has. Some more than others, but we've all violated them. And because of that, the wages of sin is death. Boy, I'm glad that verse doesn't stop there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it, God makes it very, very clear that, uh, that, that getting forgiveness of sins 
for all eternity, coming to Him and believing on Him and trusting Him as your Savior. It is not a work, and there's no works you can do. Baptism doesn't take care of one sin. Uh, being a good person doesn't take care of one sin. Being a good father and mother doesn't take care of one sin. Communion never took away one single sin. Never did. Never did, never will. Uh, you know, uh, 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 being, uh, being obedient to the Ten Commandments is a good thing to do. But being obedient to the Ten Commandments doesn't take away sin. The only thing that could take away sin is believing on Jesus Christ and, and believing in his death for your sins, his burial, and then his resurrection from the dead. And when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, without any works of righteousness of our own, he in turn turns around and saves us and gives us eternal life. Now, the Bible gives us some characteristics of, of, uh, of grace. What is grace like? What, how does God describe grace? Well, you're in Titus chapter 2, look down at verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that, that, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. First of all, it's available to all. When it comes to salvation, anybody and everybody can trust Jesus Christ as Savior. The grace of God in order to uh, be given, is, is available to all people. And then once a person trusts Christ as Savior, God has living grace for us and strength and power on a day-by-day -day basis to live for Him. And that's available to all that have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Another thing about grace, go to Romans chapter 11 and Ephesians chapter 2. Romans chapter 11. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts... And then Romans in your New Testament. Romans chapter 2, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 11 and Ephesians chapter 2. Get the chapters right. Can't talk and flip pages at the same time. Um, Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, Romans chapter... 11, yeah, thanks, I appreciate, appreciate that help. <laughs> Sometimes I need plenty of it. Romans chapter 11 and verse, and verse 6. It says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Speaking of salvation, if by grace it's no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. In other words, you can't have both. You say, say, well, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, but I'm going to be good so I can keep it. No, 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 no. Grace has nothing to do with works. It has nothing to do with works. And it's free to all. Go to Ephesians 2. And I quoted this just a moment ago, but let's look at it together. 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It isn't you. It is the gift of God. It's not you, it's God, it's all God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And the Bible makes it very, very plain and very, very clear. It's free to all. Salvation is a gift. It is not a wage. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin has a wage. But eternal life 
is given as a gift. You cannot work. You, you, it's impossible to do anything other than believe on Christ for that salvation. Second uh, Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three, and down in verse eighteen. Second Peter three eighteen. It says, but grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Once a person has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, we need to grow in grace. That means you increase, you continually get more and more in need, more and more grace in order to live for God on a regular basis. Then, then go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're in the book of, of uh, uh, Second Peter. Back up a little bit to Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, look down at verses 14 through 16. It says, Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Uh, according to verse 15, bitterness can cause you to fail of the grace of God. Now that doesn't mean that once a person gets saved that they lose their salvation. If they get bitter, that's not it at all. But the, the, the circumstances that were there that you got bitter over... Uh, could have been overcome had you had the grace of God. But bitterness and the grace of God do not inhabit the same place together. Bitterness prevents us from getting a hold of God's grace. And uh, then you go down to verse 16. It says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For a saved person, again... Uh, immorality will cause you to come short of the grace of God, and, and so will temporal values. He, he, was, he was covetous, he was immoral, and he was bitter. And those three things prevented the, uh, the, the uh, acquiring of the grace of God in his life for living for God. Now there are some, there are some conditions that God gives to us. There's four of them that we're going to look at this morning. Four conditions for appropriating God's grace for our lives. When a person has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and has, has uh, gotten his saving grace given to him, then after that, then God says, we live day by day by grace. Paul said it. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. We've got to have his grace. You, you know, I, I've heard this uh, several times by several different people, but it's so true. Uh, the, the saying is, the Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is absolutely impossible. Well, it's true. It's really true. It is impossible outside of the grace of God. With the grace of God, all things are possible, and that's why Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. So there's four things that the Bible says very, very clearly that are necessary in order for us to appropriate grace on a daily basis once we've trusted Him as Savior. Number one, 
Go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, if you're in Hebrews, the next book is James. James chapter 4. And look with me down in verses 6 and 7. James 4, 6 and 7 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Therefore, or submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, it says, it says God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And the, the obvious implication there is, if you're proud, you can't get the grace that you need. Instead, you're going to get the resistance of God. If you're humble, then you, you will be able to appropriate that grace. What, what does it mean to be humble? It just means to realize uh, that you need to be submitted to God. And, and uh, you need, you need to, to realize that you are nothing and God is everything. One of the things I, I, that I have seen reading through Scripture, particularly uh, in the epistles with the Apostle Paul, uh, Apostle Paul makes comments like this. He says, In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You know, you know what he's saying when he says that? He's basically saying he's nothing more than an animated dirt ball. That's what he is. I mean, he's nothing. He's zero. That's humility before God. The moment you start thinking you're somebody, then uh, that grace of God uh, turns into resistance from God rather than grace coming from God to you. Uh, we, we need to be humble before him. You know, when, 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 uh, uh, when we fail God, when we fail others, we need to go to them and take care of that thing. If we fail God, we need to confess our sins. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is confessing your sins? It's being humble. It's just going before God and saying, God, I blew it. God, I'm wrong. Uh, and not giving excuses and not giving reasons, just saying, Lord, I was wrong and you were right. When, when, uh, when we have problems with others and we, we have head-knocking situations, um, you go to that person, the Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. If there's two people like this and they both have contentions, come from both, both of them are proud. You know, one may say, well, I don't, I don't see any pride in me. I'm, I'm perfect. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, but but the, the point is, is that, that, there's, that, that pride needs to be gotten rid of. And so what do you do? Well, you go and you admit the part that you had in the situation um, and, and, and get that thing taken care of. Uh, when was the last time uh, you asked... Your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your father, your mother, your friend, somebody, maybe somebody you work with, your boss, to just forgive you because you did wrong. To just go up to them and just admit what you did. And, it, you know, when, if, you, if, 
if, it, if there's humility in it, it's not, well, I did wrong, but you, you, know, you know perfectly well what you did too. <laughs> okay, that's not humility. Humility is just saying, listen, I was wrong. I take full responsibility for my, for my actions, and I'm, I'm getting the thing right. Have you ever asked those that uh, you work with, whether it be at work, whether it be at, at, here at church, whether it be in your neighborhood, whatever it might be, maybe in a volunteer organization. You ever asked people to forgive you? That takes humility to do that. Um, you know, um, it, it, it's, it, it's difficult for us to admit as human beings oftentimes that we are wrong. But when, we, when we're humbled before God, listen, I would rather uh, humble myself. Bible talks about this. It says, humble yourselves before God. Because I know what the alternative is. If we don't humble ourselves, God will begin to humble us. I'd much rather humble myself. I've been, I've been on both sides of that fence. Okay, I'd much rather humble myself before God has to humble me. You go back to the Old Testament and you look at some of the kings that started thinking, kings of Israel and Judah started thinking they were somebody. God knew exactly how to humble them. Now some of them actually became humble. They, they responded in humility. Some of them just got angry and got worse. Uh, but, but God... If we don't humble ourselves, God, God will humble us. And it's important for us to be humble before God and before others. Um, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the other ways we can humble ourselves is by going to people. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Going to people and, and, uh, and asking them to pray for us. Uh, if you know you have a weakness, when was the last, and, and you do, by the way, just, just so I'd let you know, you do have a weakness or two. Uh, so, so do I, more than two. Uh, but but the, the fact of the matter is, uh, when was the last time you went to somebody and said, listen, would you pray for me? Because I really struggle with. Now, you know what? If you're a proud person, that's hard to do. In fact, that's almost impossible to do. But humility will allow you to do that when we humble ourselves before God and before others. Um, asking those uh, that you love and respect, not just somebody off the street, not just somebody who's a casual friend, but somebody that you love and respect, to point out your weaknesses. Now, <laughs> tell them. Say, hey, I, I'd appreciate it if you do that for me. Well, you see a weakness in my life. Would you please tell me? But would you please tell me privately, not in church or not in front of the family or whatever. But if you would do that, I would appreciate it. What is that? That's a humble spirit. And God says he giveth grace to the humble. So the first condition for appropriating God's grace is just simply humility. Secondly, it's being right with God. Uh, Bible talks about grace. The very first time the word grace is used is back in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this was long before God told Noah that uh, he was going to bring down judgment. Uh, it was before uh, he gave him all the instructions about building the ark. It just says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why was that? Because Noah was right with God. At that particular time, 
he, he and possibly his family were the only ones that were. Everyone else was going their own way. They were doing that which was right in their own eyes rather than doing what God wanted them to do. But because he was trying to serve God and because he was right with God, the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's why it tells us over in the, in the Scriptures, if we confess our sins as saved people, once we've trusted Christ as Savior, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's important for us on a day-by-day on -day basis to be right with God and have a right heart toward God so that we can be under that spigot where the grace gets poured out upon us. The third thing is found over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We were there a moment ago. Back up, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And again, this is the situation with Paul and the thorn in the flesh. And um, he is praying and asking God to remove it. And God gives the answer in verses 9 and 10. And this is the answer. Verse 9, he says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore... Will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me? Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Notice that he accepted his infirmities. And, and also notice back in verse 9, says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, if he, he didn't accept those infirmities as being from God and take it with the right attitude, then the power of Christ would not rest upon him. What is that power of Christ? That's grace. That's grace. We've got to have that grace. Listen, folks, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're saved... You can't live a day without the grace of God. You can't. You desperately need His grace. Can I tell you, one of the things that absolutely robs us, I think just strips us from, from the grace that we ought to have, is complaining, murmuring, having a critical spirit. All of those things will take away and cause us not to be able to be recipients of the grace of God for strength for day by day, living for Him. He, he, says, he says, I'll glory in my infirmities. He's saying, listen, I see what the infirmities are for. In fact, he said even before, he said, he said I, you know, I had a, I, I had a, a, a vision, I, I saw some things, I was taken up into the third heaven, and, uh, and so that I would not get puffed up, so that I would not get proud, Paul says, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. He knew exactly what that thorn was for. And you know what he was saying to God? He was saying, I'm glad you, you put that thing in check. Thanks for doing that for me. Because if left on my own, I'd be proud. And if I'm proud... And God's grace will not be upon me like I know that it needs to be. God's grace is, becomes very, very evident, particularly 
when we're weak in an area. Uh, infirmities, reproaches, necessities, necessities are just needs, uh, persecutions, distresses, they're all opportunities that God gives to us to go get more grace. Why? Because we can't handle those things. We can't, you know, we can't handle the flat tires. We can't handle the pink slips at work. We can't handle the, uh, the, uh, uh, the friction between uh, ourselves and, and other co- co-workers or family members. We can't handle those things. And we become very, very weak. Uh, you don't get weak so you can complain. You don't get weak so you can gripe. You don't, you don't get weak so you can get irritated. You get weak so you can understand that you need to be humble before God and, and uh, receive His grace and accept those things as, a, as, a, as an opportunity to get the grace of God. Uh, if we get angry, if we get upset with our infirmities, then, then we, we, we're not able. If, if, if Paul, instead of, of uh, glorying as an, in his infirmities, has said, if instead of that he, he got bitter, he got mad at God, would he have had that power? Would he have had that strength on him? No, he wouldn't have. No, he wouldn't have. Because he, he would not have been humbled before him, and he would not have seen why those infirmities were there. God made him weak so that he could be strong. And then the last thing, and, and really not the last, probably the most important thing that we need to remember, that where, where grace comes from, it comes from us putting our faith in Him. Take your Bibles and look with me one last time, one last scripture, Romans chapter 5. This is where grace comes from. When you trusted Christ as Savior, this is how you got grace. Now that if you're saved and you're living for Him, this is the same way you get grace. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Grace is gotten by faith. It's there for the taking. It's always available. When Before a person uh, is saved, the saving grace is there. Uh, I was 17 years old in Rochester, New York, when I got saved. And I was a teenager. I was a senior in high school. That grace had been there my whole life, but I finally recognized it. I finally saw it. And by faith, I reached out. I believed that I was a sinner. I believed that I was on my way to hell for all eternity. And I believed that Jesus died for my sins, not just for the sins of the world, for my sins. He died for my sins. He was buried, rose again the third day, and if I would just simply repent, turn from my sin, and trust Jesus Christ and Him alone as my Savior, that, that the moment I did that, He would save me. What is that? That's the grace of God. That's given me grace. And the way that I got that grace, and I did that that night. I said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm on my way to hell. Lord, uh, I'm throwing myself at Your mercy. 
I believe that Jesus died for my sins according to the Scripture, was buried and rose again the third day. Lord, give me eternal life. Forgive me all my sins. He did that. You know how he did it? He did it by his grace. You know, where, where, where sin aboundeth, the Bible says, grace did much more abound. There's not, no such thing as too much sin in my life for God to forgive. Never. <laughs> Never. Because his grace is always, in fact, we sang about that here just a little while ago. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Two kinds of grace. You've got grace when you trust Christ as Savior. That's saving grace. Uh, you don't work for it. You don't earn it. You simply come to God and say, I know I'm a sinner on my way to hell. Lord, I throw you myself at, at, at your mercy. Would you please forgive me of all my sin and give me eternal life? The moment a person does that, that saving grace is poured out upon them, and they have eternal life for all eternity from that point forward. If a, uh, once a person is saved, we need that strength. We need that power. You cannot live the Christian life without it and do so successfully. Grace is abundant. Grace is there. But we need to be in the right position and with faith and trust in Christ in order to receive that grace from Him. Let's bow our heads. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. In just a moment, we're going to have what we call an invitation. And the invitation is just an opportunity to come to the altar and talk to God, just you and God. Uh, as, as the Lord has spoken to your heart. But before we do that, I want to ask a question. And again, every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. Have you appropriated, have you gotten a hold of that grace of, of God for saving grace? Do you know for sure if you died today, are you absolutely positive, with no hesitation, with no doubt in your mind, that that, if, that when you die, that you'll go to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus Christ because you've trusted Him and you've trusted Him alone as your personal Savior. If you know that for sure, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if you just raise your hand as a testimony to that fact. Say, Pastor, here's my hand. No, for sure, if I died today, I'd go to heaven because I've trusted Him as Savior. All right, thank you. you put your hands down. Is there anyone that would be here this morning who would say, say just as honestly as those who just raised their hand, uh, I don't know that for sure, or I'm, I, I question that. I'm concerned about that. Pastor, here's my hand. Would you please pray for me? Now, my prayer can't save you, but boy, it would be a privilege for me to pray for you. Is there anyone like that? Say, Pastor, here's my hand. Would you please just pray for me? That's a, that's a great need that I have in my life. All right, you're here this morning, and you are saved. You know for sure if you died to go to heaven. Can I tell you something? Uh, yeah, you needed grace to get saved, but you need grace every single day. If there's anything in your life right now that is preventing you from getting a hold of the grace of God, today you need to take care of that thing. The Bible says that he giveth grace to the humble. He resisteth the proud. Man, I don't want to be in that position but giveth grace to the humble. Father, I pray that you would work in hearts this morning and help us to see how serious it is to grab a hold of the grace of God. It's there. It's abundant. It's free. But Father, we need to 
have the grace of God to be saved, and we need to have the grace of God to be able to live for you once we are saved. God, I pray that you'd work in hearts this morning. There may be someone here who does not know for sure that their sins are forgiven. They, they, they are not certain of eternal life because they've never trusted you and you alone as Savior. Father, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray they might come forward during the invitation. Just take my hand. Say, Pastor, uh, I need to be saved. What a privilege it would be to put them with someone, have them take them to another room here in the building, and just simply show them from the Scripture how they can get a hold of that grace of God by trusting and believing in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And then, Father, for those that are saved, maybe there's something that's in their life right now. Maybe there's some pride. Maybe there's some sin. Maybe there's some uh, just a lack of being humble before you, a lack of doing right before you. It's preventing that grace of God that we so desperately need every day to flow freely. We pray, God, that you'd work on hearts this morning. And uh, Lord, uh, may all of us be in a position so that uh, whenever that grace is necessary and needed in any situation of our lives, it'll be there because we don't fail of the grace of God. Uh, we receive the grace of God. And uh, Lord, it is always abundant. Thank you for it. We pray your blessings upon this invitation. May you get the honor and glory from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's do this. Let's stand.